Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning as we come together focusing this week on peace. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together through song. Yeah. 
Father, we come to worship you today because of Christ, who through the cross and the empty tomb has overcome everything. We want to come today to give you glory and honor and praise and to lay our lives before you. And we ask that you will be glorified in our worship today. Thank you for being here. We pray this through Christ. Amen. It's uh, great to see all of you this morning, especially those of you who may be here for alumni weekend at the college. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say hello to others who are here in worship, maybe meet someone new. So share a word of greeting with each other. Uh, I just wanted to mention a couple things that are in your bulletin. Uh, You'll notice that uh, tonight our small groups are meeting, but Koinonia is not meeting tonight because of the concert at the college at 6 o'clock. So just note that change. Also, uh, there's an insert in your bulletin about the food pantry. Uh, We have the privilege of helping a number of people uh, in our surrounding areas that uh, have in need of food. But uh, because of that, the shelves are getting pretty bare. So if you are able to help, uh, there's some things here that uh, are helpful to the food pantry and that we can give out to folks. Also, monetary contributions are appreciated. Uh, you can drop things by the church office most any time during the day. Um, we'll get those to, to the pantry. And we, um, we appreciate the many ways in which you help us help others. So we thank you in advance for your, your help in, with the food pantry. Uh, we've been mentioning that we're in the series of the Fruit of the Spirit, and one of the things that we're doing is putting together a small recipe book uh, related to the various fruit that we are connecting with the Fruit of the Spirit. And as you see today, the, the fruit is a pear. And uh, we are wanting to put together a, uh, this, this recipe book, and we would love your recipes. If you've already contributed one, contribute more. We've got a lot, lot more space, and we'd love to have the book about uh, be recipes from us. So uh, there's a sign-up sheets in the back, and um, we'd love to have you sign up this morning. Just quickly jot down one or two or more recipes that you'd like to contribute, and uh, we want to get that together in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we also also a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We continue to pray for folks connected to us here as well as things around the world as we ask for God's grace and mercy in powerful ways. Scripture this morning is from Romans 14, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This time we'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. 
Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may. Not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we. offer our prayers together to God. If you would like to use the altar reel as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today giving thanks for all that you do in this world and in our lives. We thank you for both the miraculous and the ordinary, for the joy of those unusual moments, and for the the pleasure of our daily work. For the sudden bursts of energy and the ability to get through day by day. For unexpected gifts of love. And for the faithfulness of long-term relationships. We thank you for the healings of body and mind that we cannot explain. And for the everyday strength and energy that we often forget you have given to us. Father, make us sensitive to your working in the world around us that we will see you in the wonders of every day. Help us to know that you are with us in every moment in every circumstance, in everything. Father, we pray for those who are in need today. We think of all who are grieving. Micah and Bonnie, Crystal and Ruth, Bill, Emily, John and Clarence, and others who might be on our minds and hearts. 
We pray, Father, that you will give peace to all who are in distress, who are weary and burdened, who are anxious and overwhelmed, who are facing the difficulties of living in this fallen world. Father, on all of these needs, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we give you thanks that you are always more ready to hear than we are ready to pray. That you are always more willing to give than we certainly desire or deserve. Pour out upon us the abundance of your mercy and forgiveness and grace and strength. And we ask all of this Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who in loving kindness teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. And at this time, children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church. And ages 6 to 8 for junior church. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and eyes like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness, I'll look to
be seated. Okay, we're going to try this experiment again of using our cell phones to answer a question. So if you have your cell phone with you, pull it out. And like I said a couple weeks ago, you know, this is just a text. Not, we don't want any of this today, okay, if you're talking to someone. Pull out your phone, and uh, these are the numbers. And here's the question that I want you to answer. With whom do you tend to most have conflict? All right. Now, I, I realize there's overlap to some of this, right? But to whom do you tend to most have conflict? Family, friends, co-workers, the church, something in the, somebody in the church, or we gave you an other, just in case. Now, again, I realize there's overlap to that, but let's just see what, uh, you know, just think about the, where it's, maybe it's most focused. Is the conflict in the church or is it at work or is it in your home? Is it some relationship with friends and family? And I see family is way ahead, isn't it? Yeah, we'll give you a, you know, you got a, we got a lot more time. So go ahead, keep going. Do I need to do batteries, Mike? Okay. Man, we're pretty good at church. We got nothing going on here. Let's just go home. Well, that is true. That's family. That's true. Good point. Depends on how you define family, right? Are we good? All right. Obviously, family is the um, is number one. Now, it doesn't really surprise me a whole lot. I am a little bit surprised that no nothing at church. Uh, boy, that that's kind of amazing. Though I recognize there's a fair amount of overlap in these, and it may have been a toss up as to which one of those you wanted to put. Now, this is my question for us. When you think about the conflict in your life, whether it's with friends, family, co-workers, someone at church, when you think about that conflict, does that, does that make you happy? Does it please you that there is this conflict in your life? Does it make you feel good about your relationships, that, that, there is, that there's some kind of broken wall, that, there, that there's some kind of, of, of crumbling bridge between you and another person or other people, does it, does it please you when you think about that conflict? I would guess every one of us would say, no, we're not happy about it. We don't go around telling people, you know, this is so awesome. I'm having this real big fight with this family member. Because we all are innately born by where something in all of us is looking not for conflict but for peace. We all are, are looking for peace. And you see this throughout history. Deep down inside of us, we want peace. Now, sometimes it doesn't always come out that way. And sometimes it appears as though people are looking for a fight. But deep inside, we don't relish conflict. We, we want peace. The question is, what does that look like? What does that mean? In the ancient world, especially in Greek thought, it was often related to uh, an elimination of problems and trouble in our lives. That there was this sense of, when you, when you talked about peace, it meant, I don't have any conflicts. 
I don't have any troubles. There, are, there is no turmoil. There's no chaos. Everything in life is just right. It's the elimination of problems. That's peace. And I suspect that's what we think of often as peace. We just eliminate all the troubles. We don't worry about anything. Everything is taken care of. There is no conflict. There, there is no turmoil. There's no chaos. It's just everything is good. And how long does that last? You put human beings together and we're going to have conflict. And the reality is when you talk about the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word shalom, which is really the meaning of what the Greek is talking about when it talks about peace in the New Testament, there is this sense of not just, not as so much a sense of the elimination of trouble as it is life lived to its fullest. It is, it is life in, in the way that God created it to be, recognizing that in a fallen, broken world, we're going to have conflict, we're going to have trouble, we're going to have difficulties, and particularly when you start putting people together. Now, there is a sense of peace that we experience in our hearts, in our lives, this inner peace that we live with. And the scriptures talk often to us about how God wants to fill us with peace. Jesus comes. He comes to the cross so that we have peace. And we have peace with God. And we live our lives despite all the turmoil and the conflict with a sense of peace. And that is, that is certainly foundational to what it means to live in peace. But when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, I'm not sure he's talking about that inner sense of peace as much as he's talking about the peace we have in relationships with other people. Every, every element, every characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is about relationships. It's about how we relate to each other, loving each other, being, feeling each other feel, with a sense of joy and peace. And as we go through each one of these, they're about how we connect with each other and how we relate to each other. And when we talk about peace, we're talking about how it relates to our relationships. How do we get along with each other? And as we see and as we know, there's conflict that we have. And the most difficult situations when we feel a lack of peace, it's almost always about our relationships with other people. They're not where they're supposed to be. Something has gone wrong. There's trouble. There's turmoil. And instead of feeling peace, we feel all torn up inside. God's design for his people is peace. God's design for his children is peace. Jesus comes into the world and he is described by Isaiah as the prince of peace. When the, when the declarations are made at the birth of Jesus, it's about peace on earth because Jesus comes. And Paul goes on to talk about that. In Romans 14, in the chapter we read a few moments ago, in verse 19, he says, Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. In Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you were called to peace. And in Hebrews, make every effort to live in peace with all people and be holy. He even connects holiness and peace. And when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, he's talking about our relationships. It's God's design that, that we are people who work toward peace. But we all know that doesn't always happen. There are so many obstacles to peace, so many things that in our lives that, that wreak havoc with peace. Right before Paul talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the acts of the sinful nature. And among the acts of the sinful nature are hatred, discord, dissensions, factions. 
things that we do to create not peace, but chaos. In Proverbs chapter 6, the writer says that there are six things the Lord hates, even seven. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And we are all susceptible to stirring up conflict in the community. I think there are a number of reasons, what things that I would call obstacles to peace. Things that we do, mindsets that we have that create, lead us not toward peace, but toward chaos and turmoil and conflict. And one of those is when we reject the idea that our faith is communal. We have this sense in our lives, in our hearts, that our faith is really just between me and Jesus. And it certainly is between me and Jesus, but it's between me and Jesus and you and me. One of the struggles in the American church is that we think that we can be, we can be Christians without being connected to other Christians. And we're wrong. The church is not an addendum to our faith. The body of Christ is not a last-minute addition to our faith. It is central. It's vital to our faith. And I'm not sure we always believe that. That we live that way. We have this mindset that says, I can be a Christian by myself just as easily as I can be a Christian with other people. And I know why we do that, because often it's the other people that are creating the difficulties for us. So let's just ignore it. And if we don't really think that we need other people, then what difference does peace make? Who cares? It's just, as long as I have peace with God, everybody else doesn't matter. So peace isn't important to us. I think we also create an obstacle when when we're tempted to grab for our rights. And we are always tempted to grab for our rights. It's human nature to think, I want to get what I deserve. I want to be, I want to get what I want. And we look at other people and we think, you know, they're getting what they want. They're getting their rights. Why shouldn't I have my rights? I think it's one of the things that is hurting us so deeply in the culture and society is that we we talk so much about rights and we're enamored with rights. And, but that's what everybody else talks about. So we don't look any different than anyone else. Because we just talk about rights. And I think about Jesus who, Paul says, was in very nature God. Refused to consider equality with God something to be grasped. But emptied himself. Went to the cross. When we're grasping for rights, we're not thinking about peace. I think we also create conflict and turmoil and and obstacles to peace when, when we think what we have to say is more important than listening to other people. When all we're thinking about is what we have to say then we're not really caring about other people. We don't care a thing about peace. We're just thinking about our ideas. And we come into relationships and we come into situations thinking, how can I convince that person to think the way I think? And we don't ever enter relationships thinking, I wonder if there's something they might teach me. And when we listen, we don't just listen with our ears, we listen with our minds and our, and our eyes and our thoughts and everything about it. But if our, if our focus is just, I want to make sure I get to say what I want to say, then it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about me convincing them. And there's no sense that God may be speaking to them for through them to me. Sometimes the most profound thing we can do is to focus on listening instead of talking. And that relates also to 
the need we have to make sure that everyone understands our agenda. And making sure that, that my agenda is the focal point of any conversations, any relationships with other people. It's about what I want. It's about what I think is right. And who cares what anybody else thinks is right? All of my focus, all of my attention is on my agenda. And we just focus on me. Everything's about me. Everything's about what I want. Everything's about what I think is right. It's my agenda. And we bring that into the church. We bring all this into the church. I want what I want. I want to get what I get. And we, we so often come to, come to worship. And our mindset is, what are you going to do to help me fulfill my agenda? Instead of how can I be a part of creating an atmosphere for the, of the common good? Instead of coming to, to worship, coming to, to the body of believers, thinking, what can I do? How can I be a presence for what other people need? It's all about me, my agenda. And we create conflict and turmoil. And the last thing we're thinking about is peace. And when the, this mindset, when all of this is, is our mindset, ultimately we live with this perspective that the end justifies the means. Our end may be perfect. It may be awesome. And because we believe it is so right and so good, anything we do to get to that end is okay. If that means we have to trample over some people to get to our end, well, so be it. Because the end is right. If it means we have to use people to get to our end, so be it. Because the end is right. Nothing is more important than the end. And even when the end is, is exactly right, how we get there is still vitally important. I'm convinced more and more that God is more interested in the process than he is the end. Because God's at work in our lives far more in the process of how we live our lives, how we treat one another, than necessarily that we just happen to get to the right end. And here's the thing, if we don't care about how we treat each other and the process, we won't get to the right end. You just can't, we can't live that way because it's not the way of Christ. The means is what God is, what God at work in our lives and, and God changing us and transforming us. It's only as when the means is right that we can get to the end that's right. And all of these obstacles cause us to think not about peace, but every one of them is just thinking about me. It's, it's really a self-centered perspective. How can I get what I want? How can we get to the end that I think is right? It's all about me. And that's why it's so vital to go back to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, when he says to his disciples and the people there, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I think when Paul says the fruit of the spirit is peace. I think he is simply rewording what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. That the fruit of the spirit is peacemaking. People who are filled with the Spirit, people who are walking in the Spirit, people who are enamored with the Spirit, people who are, who, whose life is, is about the Spirit are peacemakers. Now, you know, every time I think about blessed are the peacemakers, I can't help but think about the, you know, the Monty Python scene in the life of Brian where, you know, the people, the crowds there are listening to Jesus and they're in the back and they can't hardly hear. And somebody said, what did he say? And a person in front says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And the woman says, blessed are the cheesemakers? What's so big about the cheesemakers? And her husband said, well, I don't think you have to you take that literally. I think he means anyone who's involved in the manufacture of dairy products. <laughs> it's this ludicrous dialogue that only Monty Python can do. And you, you watch that and you think, well, that's just stupid. That's crazy. And yet those people sitting there listening to Jesus on that afternoon, 
to hear him say, blessed are the peacemakers, would have been just as ludicrous as saying, blessed are the cheesemakers. And, and it's just as ludicrous, quite frankly, to you and me, because it's hard to think about what it means to be a peacemaker. We get wrapped up in what we want And it's revolutionary to think that our lives in the spirit would be about peacemaking. And what I find fascinating is that when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, so they will be called children of God. As someone pointed out, I read a number of years ago, they said, what he's really saying is peacemaking is the family business. It's what God's children do. It's what it means to be God's children. You're a peacemaker. If you are a child of God, if you are filled with the Spirit, then there is this passion in us to be peacemakers. The question is, what does that look like? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Philip Kinnison, in his book, Life on the Vine, says that being a peacemaker involves a few things. And I, I I think he's hit the nail on the head. One of them, he says, is to, we, ought to re, we need to remember our baptism. And we remember our baptism because in baptism, we are declaring that we have died to self. That, that, that moment of going under the water and coming out of the water, that moment of connecting baptism with our faith is about denying ourselves. It's about asking God to kill the old self in us, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, and to be new in him. And in in our tradition, we don't often think of baptism that way. Baptism is a great moment and and we practice it, but it tends to be something we leave in that moment. It doesn't seem to be a part of our lives on a long-term basis, and it ought to be. It's a significant moment, and we ought to do things regularly to celebrate and to remember our baptism and what it means to be people who come before God And declare, kill my old self. And give me new life in Jesus. We ought to encourage one another. We ought to be passionate about encouraging each other. Looking for all of the positive ways in which we can connect with each other. And encourage one another as we go through our lives together. And we ought to admonish one another. There are times when we stop and we say, look, uh, this, is, this is an issue that's a problem and I see you leading, this, this leading you to destruction. And I care too much about you to just let that go because peacemaking is not apathy. But here's the thing, when we do that, we do it in a spirit of fear and trembling, in a spirit of love and grace, not because people have irritated us or because we're angry at them or because we're frustrated with them or because their agenda is not our agenda, but because we love them. And I suspect ultimately it is about forgiving one another. The thing about peacemaking is we often think of peacemaking as someone who is neutral in the middle of two people trying to help them figure it out. And that may well be the case. Sometimes we find ourselves in that role where we are trying to help people, two parties, come to agreement, break down some walls, build some bridges, and and find peace together. Sometimes that happens. But when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, and when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, and when Paul writes about we ought to, we ought to be people who are involved in bringing about peace every way we can, I think more than anything, he's speaking right at us and all of the ways in which we throw gasoline on the fires of our conflicts. And the reality is most of the time, the issue is not that we're trying to to mediate two groups of people or two persons who are at war with each other. Most of the time, we have something to do with the problem. Most of the time, we are complicit in the conflict. 
And being a peacemaker means taking the first step to ask forgiveness, to seek peace, to take any responsibility that we possibly can for what is happening. And that's hard. It's really hard. That's why this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just decisions that we make. It's the Spirit in us because only the Spirit in us is going to give us the impetus to seek forgiveness from other people, to take responsibility, and to do it first. You know, Jesus says if you're at the altar praying and you remember that you have something against someone else, then you ought to go ask forgiveness. No, that's not what he says. He says, if you're at the altar praying and you remember somebody has something against you, take the first step and go seek forgiveness. That's hard for us. And yet... In the cosmic conflict between human beings and God, between our Heavenly Father and His children, this conflict that's developed because of our sin, we are all at fault. God is not at fault at all. God is not complicit in this problem at all. He has done everything perfect and right. He has not contributed to this problem one bit. It's all on us. And yet, when the solution is... When there's a solution to be made and to to begin a solution, God is the one who initiates it. And ultimately, to the cross. And if God who is perfect in our conflict with him initiates forgiveness, initiates the reconciliation, how much more you and me who are complicit in our conflicts. It's hard because we feel so vulnerable. And it is. Seeking forgiveness from people is, it's it's taking a risk. It's being vulnerable as we trust God that this is the way to bring peace. It feels like weakness. It feels like losing And we all know what our culture and society does with people who we consider weak. In our culture and society, the way to win is power. You don't talk about being weak. You don't want people to know you're weak. We do everything possible to hide our weakness. It's how you get things done in our world. It's not through weakness. It's not through vulnerability. That's how you lose. That's how you get trampled. If you want to get things done, you've got to exert power. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. In the economy of God's kingdom, it's about a willingness to be vulnerable. A willingness to stick out our necks. A willingness to act first. And who knows how people are going to respond. Sometimes people respond in kind and it's awesome. And sometimes people don't. And it's hard. Our responsibility is to take the step. Our responsibility is to do it first. Because that's what being committed to peacemaking is about. It doesn't mean we ignore the truth. Being vulnerable, taking a position of weakness, doesn't mean that we act as though there are no truth, that there's no truth, that God's truth doesn't matter, that we just ignore all of that. God is never in denial about the truth. You read the scriptures from page one to the end of Revelation. God is never in denial about truth. He is continually confronting people about, the, about his truth. 
Peacemaking is not rooted in denial. Peacemaking is about acknowledging the truth and bringing Christ into the conflict to be the presence of peace. Because ultimately, as Paul writes in Romans 15 and 16, he talks about the God of peace. And Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. It is about bringing Christ to bear in our conflicts. So think back to that first question we asked. Think about the people in which you may be feeling conflict today. Maybe you haven't thought about it for a while. Maybe it's right in front of you all the time. As the Spirit works in us, as the Spirit lives in us, as we open ourselves to the Spirit, and as we prepare the soil of our hearts for peace to grow in us, are we willing to ask God to help us take the first step to be a peacemaker? Once again, I want to give you three opportunities to think and to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. There are cards and the ends, outsides, insides of each row, and I want you to pass those along. One of the reasons we chose the pair is because it's, well, two things. One is when you spell this word differently, P-A-I-R, you're talking about at least, you're talking about two things. And it's about relationship. It's about people, pairs coming together. But this is the kind of fruit that is typically not too tart, not too sweet. It blends with a lot of other fruits and foods. It's usually not the highlight of a dish. It's complementary. And I think that's a lot of what peacemaking is about. It's about a presence that changes the atmosphere without having to be at the center of attention. And so as you look at those cards and you think again today, take that card and write down whatever God may be saying to you as we pray here in a moment about being a peacemaker. And I want to ask you to take again five minutes every day this week to pray for God to make you a peacemaker to make us a congregation, a body of believers that is known for peacemaking. And if you would like to talk to someone today, someone have someone pray with you today, the elders, some staff will be downstairs in the prayer room this morning again. And we are available to pray with you, to listen to you, and to be an encouragement to you. So in this moment of silence, Let's listen to what God may be saying to us about peacemaking. Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace. And that your spirit desires us to experience peace and to be people you use for making peace. As we contemplate your word to us, your spirit speaking into our hearts. Give us grace and courage to be vulnerable, 
have the mind of Christ. That transformed the world. Pray this in his name and because of his grace and peace. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. As you go, may you know the love of Christ. How deep and long, how wide and wide. As you leave, may you seek to win Christ. And find the steadfast to be your life. May you go in the love of your Father God. May you go in the grace of Christ. May the God of peace fill you with his peace, that you may go to share his grace, his love, and his peace. Amen.